Welcome to episode 67 of Friends of Film, a podcast discussing latest movie news and theatrical releases. On this episode, we'll cover the Thor Ragnarok trailer, Thanos as Cable, the first footage for Star Wars Episode 8, and more. All for review the Fate of the Furious. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, and iTunes at Friends of Film. As always, I'm your host, Cooper Hood, once again joined by the man with all the Star Wars theories, Josh Straley. Ooh, and I have lots of them this week, Cooper. I dove into the Star Wars Extended Universe book collection looking yeah. for clues and hints at maybe what they could have stolen with the trailer this week and the story for the movie, and uh, I'm ready to lay it down. All right. Well, we will get to that eventually, but we have, uh, we have a bunch of news to talk about. Before we get to all that, what did you watch this week? Well, I took two movies this week. Okay. First, The Blues Brothers, uh, my one of my dad's favorite movies. We watched it together, and... I didn't think it would be as funny as it was, but when there was that enormous police car wreck, there were just one after the other mm-hmm. until it looks like an entire mountain of vehicles piled up together. I just started laughing hysterically at it because it seemed so over the top for a movie in the, like, I think it's 85, sound right? But yeah, classic. And then I took a detour to the Coen brothers and watched Fargo for the first time. William H. Macy and Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Buscemi, however you pronounce it, yeah. Good enough. Uh, classic. Um, I didn't know what the wood chipper scene was. Yeah, that, that, was, that, that surprised was. me Yeah, when and, I saw that for the first time. And then <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so it was perfect. What about you, man? Uh, I burned through a lot of uh, old directors and classics this week. Uh, I got in one of Woody Allen's movies, Midnight in Paris. Didn't love it. Not sure. I think it's just his style. It doesn't doesn't click with me. I also watched a Kurt Russell and John Carpenter classic, Escape from New York. Uh, oh, I know which, that one. Yeah. After watching, I was like, "This is what a Suicide Squad movie should be." Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, but yeah. clearly, I think they kind of they tried to do that in a way, but then it just by the third act of the Suicide Squad, it was so un right. It was so not grounded that it could not match that. Um, but a really, really fun movie. Also watched Basic Instinct this week uh, with Michael Douglas and Sh- uh, Sharon Stone. Not familiar with it. It's like a super thrilling movie. It's also very R-rated. So if you are not of age, do not watch this movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was very unprepared. I was also unprepared for Bronson, a Tom Hardy movie directed by uh, Nicholas Martin Refn. Uh Another one, I think it's just his style. It is so up and down between just being like he, I don't know, the way he cut it together. There's like moments where Tom Hardy's like trying to be a stand-up comedian and like there's like an audience and then he's like in jail and then he's naked and like killing people. And I'm like, oh, what is this movie? Yeah, um, sounds like it covers many genres. Yes. Uh, Burn After Reading was a Coen Brothers movie I watched this week. Brad yeah. Pitt, uh, Francis McDormand, George Clooney, John Malkovich. Uh, funny. But a little complicated, a little too much, at least uh, okay. as it progressed. Uh, I also watched Clint Eastwood's Jay Edgar starring uh, DiCaprio, right? DiCaprio, yeah. Good? Uh, I would say it's good. I wouldn't say it's great. I wouldn't say it's bad. I yeah. think it's just it's just good. It covers his whole life. I was very, I don't, I was very surprised by the uh, relationship Hoover had with Army Hammer's character, uh, Tolson. Because I did not know that that was like a I homosexual yeah. relationship, and I was just like, "Oh, that surprised me." Um, but like by the end of that whole story, it's like it's like it's just them two, 
And so like when stuff happens, like you, you still feel for them. So credit for there. Um, and then I ended it this week by watching two comedies from last year, keeping up with the Joneses oh. and office Christmas party. Yeah. Uh, keep it up with the Joneses. I found a little funnier mainly because of John Hamm. He was just like super smooth. Uh, he pulled off that, like that spy guy, mm-hmm. just like physique really well. Uh, Gal Gadot was pretty funny as well. Uh, and office Christmas party didn't really like that much actually. It just felt like a hangover rehash. In a lot of the ways. Yeah, but I also felt like it took itself like way more seriously than it needed to. Because like like, after a while, it's just like all about corporate stuff. And like, we need to save the job. We need to save the company. And mm-hmm. like, I was like, the, I, like, I only laughed, I think, a couple of times. Olivia Munn's opening was really funny. She's just like cursing at Jason Bateman. Um, and there's a couple of their then, scenes throughout. Yeah, Kate that, McKinnon, TJ Miller. They're, yeah, they're when she starts like dancing, like that was funny. But yes. like, yeah, a lot of it, I was just like pretty bored by it. And I was like, uh I am ready to be over with this. Well, you had quite a marathon week then. Yeah, it was a lot. I didn't really realize how many movies I watched until like you're about to start. And I was like, wow, I watched a lot of movies this week. Um, And Fate of the Furious, obviously, which we will get to later. But we are going to start with some news. If you want to skip straight to our view, there will be a timestamp in the description of this episode. But for now, we're going to start with the flyby. We give quick takes on uh, some updates on some smaller stories including Samuel L. Jackson saying at the 40th anniversary panel at Star Wars Celebration, uh, he sent in a video message where he pleaded to Kathleen Kennedy to let Mace Windu come back because we all know that Jedi can survive much worse than uh, getting their limbs cut off and falling out of a window. Yeah, we, we don't know how far he fell, though. But That's true. Mace Windu has always been alive in my mind. Uh, it's never been addressed in any canon. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea that he survived went into exile and then Boba Fett tracked him down and got his sweet revenge. I would so love that to be a movie plot. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. Sam, Sam Jackson is basically the perfect age right now to play an old Mace Windu, basically in the same time period where Boba Fett would be happening or the young Obi-Wan movie or not young Obi-Wan, but the middle-aged Obi-Wan movie, (laughs) I guess you'd call it. Um, so I I would not be opposed to seeing him return. I just find it very unlikely because yeah. Lucasfilm just kind of ignored it mm-hmm. throughout all these public statements. And I don't really see them saying, you know what, after all this time, that one was the one that made us say, yeah, you know what, Sam, uh-huh. you're right. Let's bring Mace Windu back. I just, yes. I don't think that's going to work. Um, we did get a new director this week for Universal's Monsterverse or Monster Universe uh, with Deadline revealing that Beauty and the Beast director Bill Condon is going to direct the remake for Bride of Frankenstein. The guy who did Twilight movies, too. Yes. Yeah. Seems like he's he's well-equipped to handle a billion-dollar franchise. I mean, yeah. So, um, good for him. Beauty and the Beast has crossed a billion dollars. Uh, I think a lot of this is going to depend on how well The Mummy does this year. Um, but I think even if it is received okay and makes a decent amount of money, Bill Condon being detached, and they can say, from the guy that directed a billion-dollar movie in Beauty and the Beast and the Twilight films, like, he his name carries a little more weight now, so I feel like this movie's going to get made. Uh, there were reports a long time ago that Angelina Jolie was attached as Bride of Frankenstein. Snap. I don't know if that's still the case, but uh, this monster universe that Universal's uh, building is going after stars, so I would totally be on board if uh, that happens. Looks like a winning formula. 
Uh, we also got word this week on the animated Spider-Man movie with Hollywood Reporter revealing the first cast members with Shamik Moore from Dope voicing Miles Morales and Lee Schreiber uh, being cast as a mystery villain. Ooh. Well, I've, I know Moore from The Get Down mm-hmm. on Netflix. He's really good in that. He's fun. And uh, I'm don't not familiar with Miles Morales' character, mm-hmm. but I'm sure he, he's got it down. So, awesome. Any theories on uh, Leif Schreiber, who he could be as a villain? Beyond me, but I would like to imagine Mysterio. But does he come up against any classic Spider-Man villains? I just don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not super familiar with Miles either. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of Shmeek Moore. If they were making like a live-action Miles, he would probably have been one of my top choices, even though he's not also half... Uh, Puerto Rican or he's not half Latino uh, Latino yeah yeah so (laughs) I mean that that's a tough (laughs) mix to find um, if you're going live action but anyways as a voice actor yeah I think he's a great choice Lee Schreiber big fan of him as well Uh, I could see him being Craven I could see him voicing uh, Doc Ock it really just depends on how they're going to to like how they're going to proceed with this because are they going to you know take other characters that we've seen in previous live action movies or are they going to try to bring in more unknown people i have no idea so but it's a good start to a voice cast so yeah absolutely humming right along uh we also got what should be one of our final cast members for uh james wan's aquaman with hot reporter also revealing that dolph lundgren has joined the cast as king nereus he's playing the uh he's he's a king of the section of underwater world known as zebel uh, and will reportedly be vying for the hand of uh, Mira in marriage. The, the man is like classic. I think he's like Russian, and I think I think he's from Rocky. Isn't yeah, he? he's Drago. Yeah, that's him. Okay, yeah. And when I see him, I think evil, but also sort of like kingly and stately. Mm-hmm. So this is perfect. This seems like a perfect role for the guy. Yeah, I mean, Dolph's great. Uh, he's really good on this season of Arrow. Surprisingly. Um, and yeah, I think I don't know how well that dynamic between him trying to be the competitive love interest to Jason Momoa, because I feel like if you're Amber Heard, that's a pretty easy choice between a guy who's in like his 50s to Jason Momoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but maybe it's more political than that, and it's not necessarily hers to choose. Uh, you'd never know. So I'm interested to see how this plays out. Uh, James Wan said he's not necessarily going to be a villain, so. Maybe he's being set up to be a larger villain in you know a future movie. In this one, he's just a romantic rival or something. But yeah. uh, I'm intrigued, and I just keep we just keep getting good news on Aquaman, which is you know, gets two thumbs up for me. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, and I'm also giving two thumbs up to the first trailer for Detroit, uh, the latest movie from uh, Catherine Bigelow, director of Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker. What did you think of it? I thought it was fantastic. I mean, first of all, it's a story that. I don't think it's been addressed in any sort of film up so. to this point, or at least nothing major. Mm-hmm. And Catherine Bigelow has done a, did a phenomenal job with The Hurt Locker, but specifically Zero Dark Thirty, uh, a movie that I, I love to this day. And it looks so... This Detroit movie looks so intense. Um, but at the same time, every time I saw John Boyega, I was like, oh, hey, hey, Finn. Or, you know... <laughs> oh, Finn, you are alive. <laughs> yeah, but like, it, it, the scene that it sticks in my head right now from this trailer, as it shows, you know everything happening in Detroit. He walks out to give these um, National Guard units mm-hmm. or, or soldiers like coffee. And then as soon as the soldier's like, do you also have any sugar? His voice goes from super friendly to, dude, do not don't, test don't me right test now. Me. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, 
oh, John's such a good actor. Yeah, I mean, he, he knows what he's doing. But what did you think of it, man? Yeah, I mean, it's got a great cast uh, outside of John Boyega. I mean, he's definitely the guy that's there throughout the whole trailer. It looks super intense. Uh, we got to see little snippets of Anthony Mackie and Jason Mitchell, right. uh, which was great as well. And I think Jacob Lattimore's in there. Uh, I mean, I know he's in the oh, movie, cool. but I, I think he's spotted in the trailer. I couldn't tell for sure. Um, but, like, I really think the topic of the Detroit riots and everything could be super interesting. And I think it's something that is right up Bigelow's alley after doing those uh, two previous movies I mentioned before. And there's also Will Poulter in yes. this. I, oh. really, I really liked him Holy in the trailer, smokes. which surprised I mean, not surprised me because I think he's like a terrible actor or something. But, uh, you know, I, in my mind right now, he's still like the weird, like the weird, shy, awkward kid from We're the Millers. And just like the really obnoxious guy from Maze Runner. Yeah. So he looks like he's like going more into like a enforcer role, which I think is interesting. And John Krasinski's in this movie. We didn't see him, but I'm always down for more John Krasinski. Absolutely. I mean, when Will Poulter showed up, like, you know, barking orders at the uh, people from the hotel that got raided, I was like, that's not the kid I remember. That's like, holy smokes, this guy's got a dramatic acting career. I mean, as long as it plays out well, mm-hmm. yeah, just amazing. Yeah. Um, but the the scenes and the, the intensity of everything uh, feels really real. Um, like forty least, riot leaves forty people dead and seven thousand two hundred people like arrested. So Jeez. there's there's so much there, uh, and I can't wait to see it come to life. Yeah, um, I would say this is a uh, a early Oscar contender. Possibly comes out in August. So right at the end of summer season, right a little bit before the Oscar, the Oscar season starts. But based on Bigelow's track record, if this thing starts getting early reviews, it would not be surprising to me if it gets pushed back a couple of months for good reasons uh, so we can get those contending uh, nominations and everything. But we also got our, our another trailer for Transformers The Last Night. Uh, I, I liked the first trailer. Okay. I was not a fan of the second. Right. This one... I'm more on board with this second trailer in terms of my what I felt about it. Because I just, I don't know. This movie looked like, from the first trailer, I could maybe still enjoy it a little bit. And now it's just, there's Transformers of the Night at the Round Table. Optimus is, like, meeting his creators and, like, talking to them. And now he's turned his back on Earth, even though throughout the previous four movies, that is the one thing he's like, no, I already lost one world, not going to lose another. (laughs) And now he's like, well, if I can lose this world but gain my world, then it's worth it. And it just feels like his character is going completely against it. Uh, and they like they spoil like the best part of that first trailer was when Optimus was like getting ready to stab Bumblebee. Look like and you're like, oh my gosh, like what's going to happen next? Well, they showed it. <laughs> he like puts on a face mask, just glances right off of him, and then like it looks like ancient Transformers come to try to stop Optimus. Where did those guys come from? I don't know. It just looks like a mess. Yeah, I I, I guess you know. I'm going to disagree with you. Okay. I was glad to have Anthony Hopkins back in the narrator seat. I loved the shot of the Knights of the Round Table uh, swearing allegiance with their Autobots or mm-hmm. ancient you know, Transformers uh, doing the same, towering above them. Uh, I thought Optimus Prime being brainwashed, though, was a little bit wonky. I, I don't think it's a creator, though. Um, from my research, it's a Quintesson that okay. may be brainwashing him, which are like a different race of robots that used to live aside of hmm. 
the Autobots. Okay. So that's what I think is there. And that's why his eyes are a different color, I, I would guess. Yeah, I think okay. that's like the whole part of it. But yeah, I do. I don't like the idea of him wanting to go destroy yeah. Earth because of it. But he's brainwashed, so I, I dig it. Um, I think Mark Wahlberg and Elizabeth or Isabella Moner mm-hmm. has. I think their relationship is going to be kind of cute. I mean, when she was poking him with questions earlier i'm like okay this dynamic could play out really well so i i bought into that i am worried that it looks just ridiculously over the top it looks like the entire it looks like earth is being blown apart at the end yeah which i'm not buying and i don't wanted to see it go there just yet (laughs) but i liked everything i saw it feels like the transformers are in the wild west uh lawlessness and I could totally be about it. So okay. well, there you go. If you're a Transformers fan, you're signing with Josh on this one. If you're not, you're signing with me, I guess. And I'm not even a Transformers I fan. Know, so just, here we go. Uh, who knows what's going to happen once we get to review the movie in like June or July or whenever this movie yeah, comes out. we got out. some time. Um, we also have a lot of time until we get to see Thor Ragnarok which got its first epic trailer this week and I was so happy with this trailer because Taika Waititi, he just like he has brought so much energy and color and just fun to this franchise. Which not to say that it didn't have that before, because like you have like comedy esque characters with like um, a lot of the more of the Earth characters that are interacting with Thor. They're more of the comedic stuff, but in this one, like Chris Hemsworth gets to embrace his comedy chops, which he's been showing off in couple in the more, more recent years, and Blanchett as the villain as Hella. I mean her yeah. her introduction she shatters Mjolnir like what <laughs> uh that should not be possible what happens after that I, and she's going to destroy Asgard it looks like it looks like there's so much stuff happening and then it ends with the gladiator brawl to end all gladiator brawls mm-hmm. Hulk coming out and we just get the big old yeah <laughs> yes. from Chris Hemsworth which was hilarious it makes me laugh every single time He's like, he's a friend from work. And there's like, Grandmaster's like looking around like, wait, so is it, are they going to fight or not? And then they do fight anyways. It's just so good. And I feel like they only showed us what's like the first act of the movie. Because I would assume, you know, Hela destroys Asgard pretty early on. And mm-hmm. then he gets sent to Sakaar, battles out with Hulk. Because they said like, this is a buddy, like road trip movie between Hulk and Thor. We haven't seen any of that yet, so I feel like they're gonna—they're hiding a lot of this so far, and it looks like the best Thor movie to date. Yeah, I mean, I—I'm—I'm I'm totally there with you. Like, I just love the first ten seconds where it's record scratch Thor, but you're wondering how I got here. Yeah. Is he's in chains in the underworld? It looks like. Yeah, I think he's in like the realm of like hell that yeah. Hela is like in charge of whatever stuff. dimension that yeah. happens to be. Yeah, and I I thought that was so cool. And then Kate Blanchett, like you said, grabbing who she disappears into her roles. Oh yeah, like, that's not Kate Blanchett. Yeah, tearing apart Mjolnir. Uh, I don't know who that is. Yeah, tell her. It's yeah. not Kate Blanchett. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that that happening right at the start as Led Zeppelin, I think, as he yeah. does this song, you know, finally kicks mm-hmm. off, and we see uh, the entire trailer play out. I was like, what a what a perfect opening, you know, moment for yeah. the trailer. Uh, and as it keeps going, I, Jeff Goldblum seems great. Uh, he, he's not as zany as I hoped he would be, yeah. but he only says five words 
six words. Yeah, then he does he does the voiceover to start the gladiator yeah. brawl. He's You're like, incredible. Now introducing. Hulk. Yes, I love the idea that that's where he gets his yeah. his title is from that gladiator brawl. I thought that was a that was a good way to play it off. Um, the thing that I thought was most epic though was Loki's like Legolas moment. Uh, oh, the and I say knife? Yeah, with yeah, the yeah. knife flip. And I'm like, I think he's on the, I think he's on Hela's side, but I still love the idea of him like flipping those knives out, you know, taking people uh-huh. down with that headdress. Uh, uh, really cool. But what did you think of the first kind of real looks at Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie? I mean, she doesn't get a lot to do in the trailer. I think there's a couple of shots where she's riding on a Pegasus. Yeah which is awesome. Uh, and like, that's in like the realm of, I think it's Valhalla is where the Valkyrie are from and uh, where they reign and everything. So it looks, she looks good in her costume. looks like she's going to be a big role in the movie. I think they're saving a lot of that for the actual movie itself because the movie is not going to make, you know, a ton more money because Tessa Thompson's in there as Valkyrie. Like it'll probably, it'll get a lot more interest probably. But if you're showing Hulk versus Thor, Mm-hmm that's getting butts in the seats. So like just keep playing on that and just show me, don't show me too much. Cause I want to see some, pr- some surprises of that battle in the theaters, but that's the big selling point. We also got to see uh Carl urban scourge shooting a couple M 16s. That uh, was him. Yeah. The what ball guy. He? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, and then we uh, saw a, looks like a dreaded Idris Elba as a Heimdall with that oh, sword yeah. looking super epic. Looks like he's just like out wandering around. Because if I mean if Asgard is destroyed at the beginning of the trailer like it looks to be, then he's without a home. Yeah, What's he doing do. since then? Like, I have no idea. Um, but it looks it looks cool. Like, I would say like between the first trailers for Guardians Two and Spider Man Homecoming, like it may be the best one. But like I think it's definitely between like that and Guardians Two, between like the best first trailer for a marvel 2017 movie yeah i'll agree with you i think it may be tied actually yeah because spider-man 2 is good but nothing beats that opening line with rocket and baby Groot. you know trying to yeah. figure out what's the best way to go about detonating <laughs> the bomb yeah but it's great i i have to get to taika waititi's films because i'm still in the dark about all of them but if they shed any light on you know what's coming for this thor ragnarok movie um i can't wait to see what they are yeah after watching this i was like I'm a huge fan of Taika Waititi already from what we do in the shadows, not for the older people. And it's not like I was like waiting to make sure like, okay, he's not going to like make a bad Thor movie or something. And he still could. You you never know. This trailer could be totally misleading and mm-hmm. it could be terrible. Uh, I don't think that's going to be the case, but I was like, I'm doing it. And I bought both his movies on Blu-ray off Amazon for like 30 bucks or something. And can't wait to watch them again. Rad. So I will let you borrow them sometime. Please. Uh, so you can catch up on his work. Um, Moving on to the world of Harry Potter, we finally know who's going to play young Dumbledore with Variety reporting the news that Jude Law has been cast in the role in the Fantastic Beasts sequel. Oh, well, yeah, there's not a more delightful English person on the face of this planet than Jude Law. Uh, I just watched him in, what's the movie called? The Grand Budapest Hotel a while back. Is he in that? Yeah, he plays the older version of, or no, he plays the younger version of the author. Really? It's reaccounting the story oh. of the, the hotel from Zero, the older version of Zero. Mm-hmm. There's so, so many weird time things in that movie. <laughs> yeah, really, but, the only thing I remember is, I remember Ralph Fiennes and Tony Revolori. Yeah. And like that's pretty much That's it. the core of it, but there's yeah. the, the prologue and everything. But yeah, this is perfect. I think he's going to do a great job. Hopefully he gives Dumbledore some 
actual character instead of some, <laughs> you know, mumblings about the wizardy world, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. I don't know who Dumbledore is. Uh, you haven't seen any I of still, them. I still haven't seen them. So That's I've, right. I've yet to watch them. Uh, I'll get to it eventually. Who knows? Um, but I like Jude Law as an actor. He's great in the Sherlock Holmes movies. Terrific. Um, he looks like he's going to be an interesting villain in King Arthur. Uh, I'm not sure if that's if it's going to be a good movie or not, but I think he is going to be an interesting villain. And to see him play the good guy opposite of Johnny Depp, I'm still not on board with Johnny Depp uh, as Grindelwald. I think that's his character, right? Yes. I'd rather have Colin Farrell still be that guy. Of course. Um, but I mean, yeah. I mean, you're adding a guy I like to a friend to a young franchise and fantastic beasts that I liked the first movie, but I'm not sold on if I'm going to be on board for everything moving right. forward. I just kind of feel bad that Eddie Redmayne's in this series and he's having now to contend with himself. Zoe Kravitz is going to be there sharing the spotlight as well as now Jude Law and Johnny Depp. It's yeah. like, I was like all four of these people I could just die to see in a mm-hmm. Harry Potter movie by themselves. Yeah. And now we've got a packed cast um, Jude Law, though, is going to be per- portraying Dumbledore when he's the transfiguration professor at Hogwarts. Okay. That's important to know, I think, because he's not headmaster yet. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, it's good. I'm just curious to see where this franchise as a whole is going. Yeah, don't know how much they're going to touch on the whole Dumbledore-Grindelwald relationship. Right. I think they're going to, I think they've said they're going to touch on it quite a bit but uh how you know big of a role that plays into the plot of the movie i have no idea so uh moving on to the x-men world we finally know who cable is and no it is not any of the number of names that were listed before with the hot report revealing that josh brolin is trading in his infinity gauntlet for the role of the time traveling mutant known as cable the deal is reportedly for four movies setting up his role in deadpool 2 but also probably an X-Force trilogy or maybe even just a Cable solo movie or something. So we finally know who Cable is. What do you think of the casting? I think it's a good pick. I don't think it was terribly exciting hmm. um, at the end of the day, and it feels like they just ran out of options. Yeah. I, I, I kind of wanted David Arbor mm-hmm. to get the pick because I thought it would be awesome for his career as a whole, but it seems like they didn't want to take that risk of getting somebody out of TV because he's, he's not really a well-known quantity. Yeah just yet even though i think he's got the chops but there's no doubt that josh brolin you know kicks serious butt anytime he's on the screen i can't i think his character in uh, hail caesar is one of my favorites Mm -hmm. is is just as being disgruntled but also like in the know in every single way and then in sicario too Mm -hmm. so i think he's a perfect fit for a deadpool movie don't you i mean what do you think yeah i mean i was i was shocked at first because i was like wow like they they went there. They got you know somebody from the MCU mm-hmm. in a way to play Cable, uh, which I feel like normally Marvel would be very much against, and they'd have contracts saying you can't do this. But Josh Brolin is only providing the voice and then some mocap for Thanos, so people aren't uh, unless you are like you know very hardcore on the MCU and you're looking at the cast lists and everything and following this thing as an everyday production you're probably not going to know that josh brolin is the face and voice behind thanos probably like a lot of people probably don't know that vin diesel is the voice behind groot or bradley cooper probably to a larger aspect is the voice behind rocket so 
I don't think it's a big deal for that. And there are people saying, oh, does this mean Thanos is getting recast? No. Like, he's fine as Thanos. It's, it's, it means nothing. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I mean, after I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, he is pretty much a perfect choice for Cable. He he seems like the right age to me. Uh, he can pull off, you know, he can be both funny but also just, like, be very stern, be like, like, I feel like he has that really nice, like, just annoyed face where he's going to be looking yeah. at, Deadpool like are you serious like just shut up sometimes like Mm -hmm. uh, I I feel like that dynamic is going to work really well so if he's going to be around for the long haul in the X-Men universe I think they got a great choice Uh, I would have liked to see David Harbour he was growing on me as a choice because he was somebody who was lesser known he's somebody we don't see in movies in large roles Um, but I'm happy with Josh Brolin absolutely and you know another thing too is like Chris Pratt filmed passengers and guardians two at the same time and no one in the same realm like freaked out about it so right like, but i mean it's not like what? he he went from guardians to then playing green lantern yeah but it's just i don't know yeah i just thought it was funny that like it was like dude people can hold down multiple jobs right i mean i think i think a lot of those bigger companies are they in their contracts they say you can't be involved with these competing studios and like especially like if you, you know, Robert Downey Jr. is not going to, he probably has a clause in his contract saying you can't go sign to play a character in the DCEU, whether he'd want to or not is still who knows, but there's probably that contractual obligation where you are now within the Marvel family in Disney. You can't play another superhero until we are done with you yeah, in this role. Yeah, some kind of exclusivity so right. no one confuses exactly. properties. Which, who knows how big of a deal that'd be. I don't know, but uh, moving on to Star Wars, before we get to the Last Jedi trailer and all the info from there, uh, Billy D. Williams confirmed to Fandango this week that he that Lando is not in Episode Eight. That's a little disappointing, but you know I'm gonna hold out hope that he shows up with the Calvary in like Episode Nine for some <laughs> reason. That, that would be an awesome image for him to swivel a chair around with his cape, yeah. you know, and come save the day. That's it's disappointing though because Billy's such a great guy. Yeah. Right? Does uh does it make you think it's a less likely chance that we're seeing a Han Solo funeral in Episode Eight? Yeah, I think so. Because it seems like it may have been implied at the end that that's what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. But you know, the, the resistance has got better things to do than you know right. kick things off with. Star Wars doesn't start slow. Mm-hmm. It never has. It never will. Uh, so a funeral seems like something they would do in episode nine. Yeah. It'd be, yeah. I don't know. I, I didn't expect episode eight to open with a funeral for Han or anything, but you know, the way he died, you don't have his body. I'm guessing. Uh, so I always thought at some point in episode eight and because it's Harrison Ford, one of the, playing one of the most iconic characters in movie history that they would give him that proper, you know, farewell moment with a funeral scene. And in that, I was like, you know, that's where Lando's going to come in. Billy D will shoot his one day, you know, in Lucasfilm and that, that will make all of the original trilogy fans happy and everything that, okay, we got Lando back, but you know, he's not going to come back in a major role mm-hmm. from here on out. So I was bummed to hear this because I did think it was going to be a cool opportunity for them to bring him back. But, um, I mean, yeah, he, there's no saying he can't return in 9 or 10 or 11 or whatever else this universe goes. So. Yeah, I think it would be cooler to see him and Han together in that spinoff film. And then when, yeah. when 9 comes around, you're like, oh, Lando, older, they're friends. Right. He's at Han's funeral. Yeah. Bingo. Uh, 
We also, speaking of episode nine, we now know officially that Carrie Fisher is not going to be in episode nine in any capacity. Kathleen Kennedy told this to ABC News directly uh, shooting down the statement made by Todd Fisher that we discussed last week where he said that they had granted Lucasfilm permission to use old footage of her to still try to recapture some of her role in the movie. Kennedy says that's definitely not the case uh, and that Fisher is not going to be in the movie. So, uh, I'm fine. Yeah. I, mean, I think I laid it out a couple of times that if they could do it, great. If not, you know, uh, I, I just don't like the idea of, you know, CGI and Carrie. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think this is terribly surprising. Um, I mean, in the statement, she doesn't say specifically that Leia is not returning. So, like, there's some people saying, oh, well, you know, she said only Fisher's not going to be in it, not anything about Leia. So, does that mean they're going to recast her? Possibly. I still don't love that idea. But if, if Leia needs that fitting conclusion and you guys can't figure out a different way to do it, I'd be okay with somebody playing Leia for a second where you don't see her face or anything and you just have her go off on this new mission or something. Yeah. Get a really good profile mm-hmm. recast that that would be all right. Um, but after episode nine is if we're not going to have Leia anymore, we're down to Luke and Kylo as, as of, as of we know at this moment, the only remaining lineage connected to the Skywalker family and Kathleen Kennedy told Fandango that that could be the end of the Skywalker saga with episode nine. So, do you think that that is something that they will do? That they'll ditch the Skywalker saga and they'll move on to different avenues of storytelling moving forward? Yeah, I think I've presented this idea once or twice that outside of them just quitting on the episodes, um, because George's idea has always been that this has been about the Star, you know, Star Wars has been about the Skywalkers mm-hmm. for at least his episode films. Yeah. And he had nine movies planned out from the very beginning. And this is what they're kind of, uh, they're doing with these next, this next trilogy. So I totally think because Kathleen has been involved in this thing since like the eighties, um, she, she shares that vision. Mm-hmm. And I think she knows that, you know, we can move past into other trilogies and things like that as long as it's a Star Wars brand mm-hmm. would be just as worthy. So I definitely believe that that's, you know, uh, like a 60% option for them. You know, like we'll, we'll, no more episodes, but Star Wars keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening. Don't you? I mean, you, you may be indifferent about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't really know what they're... I mean, obviously I have no idea what they're going to do. Um, I, I like the idea that they're not going to figure out some way to bring in another Skywalker and be like, oh, well, Ray's a Skywalker or <laughs> yeah. Kylo has a long-lost son or uh, here's the long-lost uh, cousin to Luke Skywalker or something. So, like, right. oh, well, now we have another Skywalker around. Like, because then it, I like the idea that the Star Wars universe will become more of a universe and bring in more than just one family and tell a story from just their perspective and their lineage um, and that there's other more powerful people well, there can be other more powerful people out there in this galaxy that are not related to the Skywalker bloodline. Uh, I do hope they continue to kind of use the same formula in a way where it's still, we're telling trilogies, we're moving forward. I don't want to see them like go back and do, okay, well now here's these other events in this separate part of the galaxy that aren't connected to the Skywalkers, but 
it's basically the same Skywalker story. Because um, I, I, I do want to see these characters that we're learning about in Episode 8 and Episode 9 and we learn about in Episode 7. I want to see Rey continue on. I want to see you know more of Kylo if he lasts throughout the, this trilogy. I want to see more of Poe and Finn and uh, Kelly Marie Trans Rose, depending on how much I, I like her in the movie. Like, oh, yeah. I want to I see more of these characters outside of just a three-film arc. Uh, because I'm already attached to them. So if they can, if that means ditching the Skywalker saga, but still doing the episodes in a way where it's, this is now Ray's story. The Skywalker story has concluded at the end of episode nine, but now it's about Ray and it's, we bring in all these other families and forced users and it's not just the Skywalkers. Then I'm, then I get it. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely plenty of ways to go mm-hmm. for sure. Um, before we get to the trailer for The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson confirmed uh, this week that in his mind, the title of The Last Jedi is singular and uh, references Luke specifically. Yeah, he he pulls out the idea that in The Force Awakens that Luke is referred to as The Last mm-hmm. Jedi. So it's just sort of like the title being, hey, Luke's The Last Jedi and Luke is in this movie. Yeah. Ta-da. A little less exciting than our intense speculation. Well, I mean, I think that, that was a, that was an option we discussed. Um, yeah. And I think while he is saying that, depending on how much you read into and believe what happens in this trailer, mm-hmm. uh, that it could still have a larger meaning when everything is said and done. So it's not surprising to me. It would have been more surprising if he was saying, I mean, I already know if he was saying, oh, no, it means you know, The Last Jedi... Because, I mean, this came out after seeing the trailer. Yeah. So it all kind of made sense in my head already at that point. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, so yeah, this, right. this makes sense. This is what I was kind of thinking anyways. I guess Star Wars titles are literal and not figurative. Yeah. <laughs> so New Hope is Luke Skywalker. Um, Force Awakens is Daisy Ridley learning that she has the Force. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Empire literally, yeah, Empire strikes, literally back. strikes Back. Yeah. So I guess it's literally... This movie's centered around Luke, The Last Jedi. Yeah, so we'll need to keep that in mind when they reveal the title for episode nine. Correct. And uh, before yes. we go, oh no, what does this mean? Uh, <laughs> so we'll probably just oh yeah, we'll take it at face value next time. You look time. up the Latin root word of right. the. <laughs> yeah, because wasn't it, because uh, we discussed, didn't we discuss this on the podcast where like the, the, the international like translations came out and it was, it was, it was plural. plural. Yeah. So like, <laughs> it doesn't even matter. Um, but let's get. Straight into the trailer before we, you know, kind Please. of break it down. Uh, general thoughts. Um, Did you like it? I, absolutely. I, I thought it was. I thought it was great, and I thought it was the modern Star Wars movie that I've been looking for. And not that Force Awakens was. It was retro. Mm-hmm. And this, right from the very first shot, Ryan Johnson is showing me his cinematic style. Yeah. Um, and I, I love it. It was. It was. It felt similar to Rogue One, and just that. You know, um, I'm looking at the modern age of Star Wars now. No, no more, no more retro. No more. Hey, this is why you love the films. This is this is the 21st century Star Wars stuff, and I, I, every part of it, from the John Williams score to them, you know, showing us where our characters are and what they're up to and what they're facing. Uh, I thought it was terrific, and I love that. Luke in the beginning is kind of coaching us through the trailer. Yeah. <laughs> breathe, breathe. Yes. Okay. Okay. Luke's yeah. Luke's telling me to breathe. I can breathe. Well, how about you, man? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I thought it was great. Uh definitely has a kick at the end where that was definitely the moment where got got chills. Uh mm-hmm. a lot 
not only because of the line, but also, like you said, John Williams' score is great throughout. You get a little hints of Ray's theme at certain points, a little bit of the Empire theme, um, which is great. I mean, you can instantly tell that this is a different director than J.J. Abrams, not because J.J. Abrams is a bad director, but he has a distinct style. And Ryan Johnson, he's bringing in more cinematic, you know, quote unquote, like stuff where like, like that, that pan shot around the Island was oh, amazing. The one with um, Ridley. Yeah. Tra- where she's yeah, training and I, have that I mean, that, right here. that is great. Um, and then like with the land speeders bringing up the, the red dust on the white surface, just the contrast. And, you know, you see the, the ATAT is off in the distance. Like mm-hmm. it all just like, it looks like totally different. Like you said, the opening, we're like, okay, it's the typical stars. And you're like, Oh no, this is a rock. Like, yeah, it fades into like cracks. it was like it was so seamless. Um, well, it just shows all of his planning. Like it just looked. I am super on board for Ryan Johnson as the director, even more so after watching like, the 40th anniversary panel and everything, yeah. and uh, the Last Jedi panel. You can tell that he loves this stuff, and uh, he's already won over like the fan. Like he's mm-hmm. he already like he already had me won over. Be like yeah, I I believe in him as the director for this movie, but even more so after this. Yeah, and what. Before we dive into you know the the meat here, just when he talked about the time he spent with Carrie writing dialogue, yeah, I was like, dude, I already like you so much. Right. So please, please, like, stop, okay? Like, I, and I just thought that was like a wonderful little antidote that he had on stage there. And I did love that they teased everybody with the poster at this panel here. Oh, that the poster! Yeah. Oh my gosh, that isn't that it epic is so too. Good, and I think it's indicative of some things. Yep. And um, but just how he brought they brought the poster up, and they're like, "All right, I think we're good." Yeah, and then everyone's like, everybody, like oh. everybody started cheering." The, like, yeah. He's like, "Of course, we have a trailer." Yes. Like, like he played it up so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I want to buy that poster, frame it in my basement. That thing is beautiful. All right, so let's talk. Let's talk shop. Man. All right, first thing we see after you know the rock fade in from the stars. We see a hand slam down on those rocks, pan up, and it's Ray sweating. She's out of breath. There's a little cave behind her. Mm-hmm. What do you think's happening? I here? mean, it's. I think first of all, it's a callback to the first trailer of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Finn's dramatic mm-hmm. jump up from the sand, uh, but she definitely just had a Force vision or something like yeah. that, and it did not go well, just like Luke's did. So, uh, all the possibilities, you know, are on the table for what she saw in there. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, there's the cave. It looks like it's basically her Dagobah moment. Where I don't know if she's. I doubt she's going to see Kylo and cut mm-hmm. off his head, and then it's Ray's head inside <laughs> yes. of it. Like that's probably not going to happen. Um, but yeah, I like I like that scene. There's some people theorizing, oh, well, maybe she's out of breath because Luke choked her, and that's right after their initial meeting. I was like, that would <laughs> um, okay. be intense. Uh, Luke would definitely be going down more of the darker path, and I am kind of expecting him to lean a little more onto but not i don't expect him to be force choking ray upon their first encounter <laughs> right. um and then after that you know we kind of get we get some of those training montage scenes where uh it definitely even though the end of the trailer kind of makes it seem like oh you know what's gonna happen with the jedi is luke gonna train her we see all those training montages uh we see the hand shot which is very you know man of steel Zack snyder-esque oh, with so the, the rocks cool. floating looks so good um what do you what do you expect to get out of this you know train this relationship because daisy ridley said on the panel that uh you know sometimes you go into meeting your heroes with a certain expectation Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always work out that way yeah and you know it's been 30 years since we've last seen luke and he's 
seen some stuff. So obviously he's not going to be the legend that people have talked him up to be for mm-hmm. a long time. And uh, that's where I think the story gets super interesting because I mean, I love Ridley and I can't wait to see where Ray goes, but I'm, I'm so more interested in where Luke is. Yeah. Where but, he has been. Yeah. yeah. And they, they've shown us some things and I, I really, before we start speculating about that, I mean, I just wonder what's up mm-hmm. and I think we get a clue of um, that with Luke talking about you know the light and the dark yeah and like Ray, what, what Ridley saw and we see and can I talk about the shot with the bookcase yeah we'll yeah we'll get we'll okay. get that in a little okay, bit we'll yeah there. yeah I think uh, I do think it's going to be a very hesitant thing where even though we see those training shots I, I wonder if that's more of Luke putting Ray through the ringer in a sense where he's saying, all right, you're coming to me. And she's like in the, in the panel really was talking about like, you know, kind of destiny. And she's mentioned like, okay, well, you know, when she finds Luke that she, she feels certain expectation upon, upon herself about what she should be. You have a certain expectation about what Luke is going to be because of all these stories and everything and how he, how he defeated the empire and everything. And so I wonder if she goes to him and she's handing, he's, she's holding out his old saber and saying, train me uh i'm you know i've been like called upon to be like the next big like jedi you know part of the good side and then he goes i don't know if i don't know if i want to do this i don't know if you're even worthy of this and Mm -hmm. then he starts putting her through all that stuff gives her like the force vision uh that we see at the beginning of the stuff um but then we get more of uh the narration which also I think it's I think it's a really smart thing to basically have the entire trailer narrated by Luke yes. Skywalker <laughs> after it being such a big deal of Luke never spoke. Right. They, he got like six lines of dialogue mm-hmm. right out the gate, uh, which is great. Um, he he asks her, "What do you see?" She says, "The light." We get a bit of her theme, and we see a shot of Leia. Do you think that means anything other than symbolizing that Leia is definitely you know the figure of the right side yeah i mean she's yes and like you know if we'll move forward i'll agree with you on basic those tenements that we see representations Mm -hmm. of the two sides of the conflict yeah and leia being one and then obviously yeah then the next shot we see kylo ren's mask shattered uh it's smoking a little bit there's shattered glass all around it uh we see we hear uh, vader's breathing uh, and she she says darkness on that shot. So I don't know what happened because that's clearly not Kylo Ren's mask from uh, that got destroyed on the uh, on Starkiller base. So this is a second mask that he has now destroyed. Did or did he destroy that? It was did somebody else destroy it because it, it's smoky and it's destroyed. It is completely in pieces. What what happened to that mask? I have no yeah, idea. There's so many questions. Um, and then uh, we see a bookshelf with, you know, it's a tree. We see a little shelf and then there's a ton of books on it. Uh, and then it cuts to a book laying down flat with a lot of dust on it. It looks very ragged. Like it's been flipped through a billion times. Uh, there's a orange glove that comes over it. And then that's when Ray says balance. Uh, there's like the old, uh, Jedi logo or something on it. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the, lo- the logo first popped up. I mean, well, yeah, yeah, go, go okay. into it, yeah. The, the, it's the logo used for the Legacy of the Bo- Force book series mm-hmm. from the Star Wars Expanded Universe. And they gave each new franchise a book, a mm-hmm. logo, and that was that one. And I think 
that is indicative of so many things, especially when they talk about balance and those two earlier themes. And um, I mean, do we have, have you mentioned Luke's quote as he kind of closes out that part of the trailer? Uh, no. What, what Do you know what he, it is? He says, there's so much more. Yeah. And then, and then we get, you know, the rest of the trailer. Mm-hmm. And, I don't. Can I start speculating on what I think that is, or on what on what the the book is, or what the so much more is? Well, the book is definitely something a part of the old Jedi Order. Yeah. So that I think for me, all those books on the shelves are stuff because we've heard rumors that what Luke has been doing ever since Jedi or Return of the Jedi mm-hmm. uh, has been trying to learn more about what the Jedi Order is at its core. Uh, trying to find the old temples, the old readings on it and stuff. So I'm guessing that's his collection of artifacts of here are the teachings of the Jedi, uh, or maybe they're not just Jedi. Maybe there he finds some Sith stuff along the way as well, or just anything about the force. Uh, something I think this is just a crazy theory I had while I was sitting at home today. It would be if they are going to take a break from these episodes after nine, I think it'd be really cool and really smart. If one of these books, uh, was written by somebody back in the Knights of the Old Republic days. Ah. And then we, that next trilogy that gives us that break between episode nine, episode 10 or whatever is a Knights of the Old Republic trilogy. And we find out about like the beginning of the Jedi order and everything. Yeah. Um, I, I love it too, though. Just this bookshot, because it's also kind of quaint in the way that the last right. time we saw a library, a book of any kind mm-hmm. or an archive was the massive hall of information at the, the Jedi temple. Yeah. And then now we're here 60 years later or 50 years later. And, and now that's all that's left. That's, that's the collection of information about the Jedi. Yeah. And I, I, I thought that was really kind of cool. Yeah. Um, after that, I mean, we see a quick shot of Finn. He's still healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Poe and uh, BB-8 running through what appears to be an attack on the resistance base. Uh, or a resistance base, we see Ray running very angrily with her blue lightsaber ignited. Then we see Kylo with his blade. Uh, he's got the scar, no mask. Uh, then I think one of the more interesting shots of the trailer, we see the reverse angle of something we saw in the uh, Force Awakens and the Force Vision, with you know where Luke is putting his hand on R two. We see the opposite side of that without the hand part, but it's what appears to be the old Luke's old Jedi training academy, whatever you want to call it in flames uh it looks like it's just been attacked do you think that's what that is yeah absolutely because then we see phasma and her unit you know i think that's a misdirect though okay i don't think that's because if you if you look at a little closer there's like um there's different types of debris yeah there's like it looks like um like ships and there's like electricity arc going on one side of the screen then there's like a flash of light um so i think that is phasma invading that attack on that resistance base that blew up poe's x-wing and got it uh i think that's that attack because i was like whoa phasma's involved with like killing all of you know luke's old like students and everything that's like that adds a lot of lore but i think it makes more sense to connect her to connect phasma to what's happening with poe and what's happening with finn sure. than to tie her in with Luke's mm-hmm. you know, origin and turn away from the Jedi possibly and stuff. So, gotcha. um, I, but I, I did like her being in there because you don't, you don't really see much of the bad guys. We don't see any Snoke. We see that one shot of Kylo and then we see that one shot of Phasma and that's it. So, uh, but then we end the trailer with the big talking point where, uh, Luke says it's time for the Jedi to end. Yeah. 
the one truth he knows. Uh, and yeah, and this, uh, the, I can't, I don't know if I can talk about this yet or not, but like, makes sense mm-hmm. because where I think this film is going and what it's going to preach, if you will, mm-hmm. about at least the force and the Jedi and things like that makes total sense. What was your gut reaction when you heard that? I was, well, my, I, my, my, my jaw dropped. I was like, Whoa, okay. They're going there, which is what I've, I've wanted. Mm-hmm. Like I want them to get rid of the Jedi Sith factions. They've already got rid of the Sith basically. Cause Kylo is, he's not a Sith. He just channels the dark side of the force. Um, and we know Ray is not a Jedi in like the animated series and stuff. Uh, Kanan is not a Jedi master. He uses, the 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 Jedi side of the Force, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not a Jedi Master. Same with Ezra. Ahsoka is neither a Jedi nor Sith. She's just a Force user. Um, in Rogue One, uh, Donnie Yen's character, he is just a. He knows he can channel the Force and stuff. Maz Kanata can feel the Force. I feel like they've kept bringing in this idea that you can understand the Force without being Jedi or Sith. Mm-hmm. So I think it makes sense to ditch the Jedi tag as well and then just have people be force users in this universe. It could get, help get them away from the Skywalker stuff as well. Um, but I think it's also just a natural progression for Luke. If, you know, he when he gets basically recruited by Obi-Wan, he, he is saying, you know, you're the, the chosen one, basically. You're going to bring balance to the galaxy, balance the force, stop the, stop the Sith from rising to power. Um, it's the same thing that caught your father and it turned him against us. And since he has tried to be that Jedi, that chosen one, you know, he has seen all this bad. Like he hasn't had much good happen to him. Uh, he saw his, uh, his nephew turn because he was trying to teach him the ways of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. So if you're Luke and you're say you're, you're trying to do all this good, but then every time you try, it just turns out badly, then it would make sense why if you are the last person that is technically qualified as a Jedi, that you would say, I think it's best in the sake of the galaxy and for myself and for everybody else that the Jedi no longer exist because then that, that conflict isn't there anymore. Yeah. And that's like a brilliant way to put it. Um, the, the, the logo, the legacy of the force logo I talked about that's mm-hmm. in that book um, it describes the balance. It, it's a callback to the, at least I believe, I think maybe, it's a callback to uh, the part of the New Jedi Order book series where people realize, oh, we don't have to abide by, if we don't abide by these Jedi rules, the code of mm-hmm. the Order, we can actually do, we can be more helpful. Right. And that's what they learned in this like 20 book span. And then it leads into um, the final series that they mm-hmm. had. And that's like the turning point for the order. And I feel like that's what they're kind of workshopping in here. That there's, there's a, there's an in between, mm-hmm. uh, if you will. There's a between, gray area. Yeah. There's, yeah. I, someone's, someone kept telling me about this gray Jedi thing, which yeah. I don't get. Well, there's, the, I didn't, I don't really get that either. Besides just like, you know, the, there's some meme out there. There's that. Yeah. Besides just like the thing that's okay. Well, you know, there's black and there's white, but there's also like the gray moral line that everybody has to you know right. fall on and stuff. But um, one of the other theories about that book that we saw earlier was that it was the Lord of the or the Book of Wills, um, which is now technically part of canon thanks to like comics and like mm-hmm. uh, book adaptations and stuff. And like the opening passage of that mentions like um, there's only balance when uh, the gray area is like 
uh, touched upon or something. Yeah. I'll and, find the exact quote. And that, yeah. And that's like, and that's kind of the thing. Like you mentioned it, like factions breed competition. Mm-hmm. And if there's a Jedi order, there is always going to be a Sith order because power needs to, you know, needs to scale it out. And it's great for those two warring factions, but you know, it's heck for everyone else in the middle. And so it looks like Luke has finally kind of realized, okay, if there's a Jedi, there's always going to be a Sith. Mm -hmm. And that means there's always going to be war in the galaxy. So there, there has to be this, this middle, um, whether it's no Jedi and no Sith whatsoever. And like, you kind of just, you mentioned like, you know, just people using the force, Mm -hmm. not being, not adhering to strict, uh, codes Mm -hmm. on either the Sith or the Jedi side. And finally, you know, just, being people, if you will. Right. Like, because well, like logically and emotionally and rationally, instead of being like Mace Windu in the first trilogy, mm-hmm. where no, this is, we have to do everything by the book. Right. He's, he's too old. We can't train him. Well, and that's like one of the things or, that, like, throughout the entire prequel trilogy, they're, they're very much always preaching, especially like the council. They're like, mm-hmm. we have to do everything by these ancient laws. Yeah. But then you see, like, all these other, like, you see, like, Qui Gon doing stuff that you're not supposed to do as a Jedi. You're seeing, you know, Obi-Wan do the same thing. And then, you know, you're Anakin, you're that new guy and you're seeing these guys don't even live by their own rules. So right. like, why, why should I, in, yeah, in a sense? Um, and yeah, I mean like one, like the reason Ray survived that battle with Kylo is not because she was a Jedi is because mm-hmm. she channeled her anger. Right. Like you see that, that was my, well, that was one of my favorite moments of force awakens was when she's standing over Kylo as he's on the ground and she's just pacing and they're just, her, you can just see her face full of anger, mm-hmm. but just because she's angry doesn't make she, doesn't mean she's a bad person. You right. know, like it's just it's like it's just bad logic if yeah. you if you're going about it that way. Yeah. Um, and the quote from the Journal of the Wills is: uh, first comes the day, then comes the night. After the darkness shines through the light, the difference they say is only made right by the resolving of the gray through refined Jedi sight." That is a very Dr. Susian. Yeah, it's, like it's it. It, it, like the Journal of the Wills is like a poem series about like the Jedi Order or cool. something. So very cool. I, I, I don't know how that. much of that like book is actually like written out and stuff, but mm-hmm. I think it's just like referenced a couple of times. But yeah. Um, yeah. I So yeah, I mean, wrapping up here in this long monologue of the theory <laughs> of the Force, I love where it's going mm-hmm. because it's finally progressing us out of one of the biggest digs I think of the Star Wars universe has been as has always been there's a good side and there's a bad side. Right. And when they when they grade the area a little bit, people hated those films. Mm-hmm. So they're finally getting us to a point where we can have um there's there's some dialogue to be had about things. So I think that's just great. Yeah. So I mean if this is the way that this this trilogy's progressing, then Colin Trevorrow gets to tackle a movie where the Jedi are gone, the Sith are gone and it's I still think it's a distinct possibility, especially with Leia now going to be out of the picture in nine, that by the end of episode eight, Luke may not be, I don't think he's going to be willingly trying to teach Rey to be a Jedi, but he's going to train in the ways of the force and how to still, you know, challenge or channel that anger and use it for the way of good. Um, I feel like he could also try to do the same thing with Kylo and then, I think there's a possibility that we could see Kylo and Ray both being trained under Luke. Um, and then some sort of conflict comes out of that, uh, in some way. Hmm. I don't know. Would that mean there's a resolution with Snoke then already too? 
No, because I feel like I feel like if that happened, um, and Kylo does revert back to Luke for some for whatever reason, I feel like that would just make Snoke super angry, and that would just make him rise to power a little more. Yeah. Um, I mean, he already has a ton of forces, and then you could have Episode Nine be very war heavy, similar to Return of the Jedi, and you know have the big showdown be between uh, Snoke and Luke, but then also if my you know, really old theory from episode seven stands true and that Ray does eventually start to channel more of the dark than the light, then you see that turn happen there. Yeah, um, I still think that's way too I, crazy. I, I, st- I would just be so cool. <laughs> I know I know we're getting we're on opposite sides of the table here, but literally uh-huh. and figuratively. Yes. Um, <laughs> good, good point. Um, but yeah. But yeah, I in summary though, uh this was a fantastic way uh to kick off the hype for the last Jedi. Oh yeah. Um, and just in every single way, I, the custom John Williams score was what really made it for me mm-hmm. because everything just, it, it flowed. Yeah, it did. Amazingly across really well. everything. And, uh, it was all grand. Yeah. Um, couple things before we move on to our view. Uh, I've heard this theory from John Roca, um, at Collider that, uh, he thinks that the second teaser it won't it won't be another it won't be like a a, re, a quote unquote real trailer that it'll be another teaser but from the perspective of Snoke and Kylo and it'll be very Kylo uh, Phasma and Snoke heavy and basically mm. you get that First Order heavy look I think that'd be great because that's one of my favorite parts of the Civil War marketing is they had basically Team Iron Man and Team Civil War trailers so if they wanted to do that and give more light on what's happening over there. I think that'd be really cool too. We definitely need to see what kind of place Kylo is in. Yeah. Because we only see that one shot of him. And, uh, assumedly, he's pretty pissed. I oh, mean, yeah. He's lost to Ray and. I mean, there, know, there's a. Uh, there's like on. this. Like, because Ryan Johnson was showing pictures that he took on set at the. Uh, oh, those were great, At the Last the Jedi panel. And one of them, or like one of the other, like officially pictures, they, they didn't officially release them online, but they put them up on the screen there. Um, that it was one for Kylo and apparently some people were saying that his eyes were starting to turn more yellow just like that happens more with like people mm-hmm. that are channeling the dark side yeah. more so Anakin that famous uh, episode mm-hmm. 3 scene yeah so. and yeah Palpatine has and everything so um, last thing on Star Wars uh, both Ryan Johnson Ryan Johnson said that Ray's parents will absolutely be addressed in episode 8 um, but that how and what happens with that is may not be what people expect uh and then uh uh, daisy ridley was telling mtv that she recently did some adr for a a scene that she didn't know was in the movie and it uh it caught her by surprise so i think that any theory that has been discussed about ray's parents aren't aren't it is garbage yeah yeah because i feel like lucasfilm knows how Star Wars fans are going to think. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, she's got to be Luke's daughter. She's got to be Obi-Wan's granddaughter. She's got to be this. She's got to be this. I think they know that. and They've devised something that they can hint towards things that are going to be like super obvious. Be like, oh, yeah, that means she's going to be, mm-hmm. it's going to be this theory. But then in actuality, it's going to be something that nobody saw coming. Yeah. I, I The way you just said that seems like a classic Lucasfilm thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, People talk about how the the dialogue got changed, you know, in uh, Empire and Jedi uh-huh. for pivotal scenes with um, Luke and Vader and uh, Luke and Leia. But if she did ADR for a part of a film and maybe 
even if they had a production unit that was just so small that they clipped another scene, you know, to well, like put, the, put in there. The iconic, you know, I am your father scene, like they, that was different on set. They, they like, nobody knew about it until they had James Earl Jones come and do the ADR for it. Right. Uh, so then it was him, the director, George, and like the, like whoever was like in that recording booth that day. It's the only people that knew that that twist was coming. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think that's not out of the question. They would do something very similar to that, whether yeah. it comes in the form of a forced vision or there's, we meet some people on the way that, uh, there's just a reverse shot from behind Daisy Ridley's head that you can't see her. You can't see her talk or something. Uh, I think it's uh, there's lots of interesting possibilities yeah. that we'll probably never guess. It'll, It'll be, be fun to speculate about for absolutely. the next uh, eight or nine months, however long we still have. Yeah, I'll be dis. I mean, I won't lie. I'll be disappointed if she's not the strange child of Luke and Mara Jade. But uh, <laughs> you know, hey. I mean, if he is again before we get out of here. I mean, if he is, you know, not following the Jedi code as well, and that's one of the big things of the Jedi code is you can't have. You know, you're not supposed to like fall in love right, or anything, or and whatever. that was one of the big things Anakin did. Obviously, um, I mean, if she is a Kenobi, that obviously means that Obi Wan did the same thing uh, later on, and maybe that's why they're not doing the Obi Wan standalone film. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which I was shocked they didn't announce this weekend. Yeah, but um, I mean, you never know. We, there's so many possibilities. Just I can't wait. Um, but that's enough Star Wars talk. Uh, we could probably talk about it for another two hours about everything that happened with the trailer. But let's get to our review of The Fate of the Furious. Surprisingly, the eighth movie in the Fast and Furious franchise, this time directed by F. Gary Gray. It features the return of everybody's favorite race crew. Um, and for me, this one just lost a lot of the fun. Like Ooh, Lost fun? Yeah. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of these movies. Um, it's been a long time since I've watched the first four, but I watched five, six, and seven in the lead up to this eighth one. And I don't think six is a particularly good movie, but five and seven are both enjoyable and have good story arcs in them for, for their characters, but also just the whole team in general. And this one, it just didn't hit that same mark. I don't know why, but it just, the whole time I was just like, I feel like I've, I've seen a lot of this before, whether that's in the marketing or just in previous fast and furious movies. Um, I know a lot of people that qualify these as like, you know, they're good, quote unquote, bad movies in a way, but like this one, I can't really say that because I feel like it is more borderline bad than it is borderline good. Um, I was excited for the, for F. Gary Gray to come in and direct it at coming off of straight out of Compton, um, which is one of my favorite movies of 2015, but I don't know if it was his idea or if it was Vin's idea, but the plot of the movie it was really serious and all of the big action scenes had been already shown in the trailers and stuff where I felt like I already knew it was going to happen. So there wasn't a lot of big surprises and like wow moments in those where yeah. I was typically getting those in the previous movies. Um, so I felt like it took itself too seriously. Um, I was going there for ridiculous action. And while it had that, it was again, stuff I'd seen before. So it was the pl- and it was a lot more plot heavy. They're like the second act is very plot heavy. It was pretty much there's like three action set pieces and they all came out at the end of each act, and but everything in between of that was just like really boring. You know, oh Dom's against his team for dumb reasons, um, and now 
we have a bad guy working with the team for <laughs> dumb reasons. And like, I just didn't buy any of it this time. I don't, I don't really know why. Um, but even though I don't get why the team was hat was okay with Jason Statham being a part of their team. He was by far the best part of this movie. Yeah. Yep. Um, his actions, his action scenes, whether it's the jailhouse scene with the rock, his scenes in that were incredible. And then he has another fight near the end of the film um, that ties very heavily into the plot of the movie. That is very stupid in terms of what is happening, yeah. but yes. he makes it so fun that it makes me not care as much about mm. it. Um, yeah. I like Charlize the villain, even though she is really just standing there and delivering dialogue, which mm-hmm. was disappointing. I wanted to see her do more because I mean, she's furiosa and in my mind, Mad Max Fury Road is still the best Fast and Furious movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so while you don't have her do more things is beyond me. Um, the like the comedy didn't work as well for me in this movie either. There's a lot of stuff between um, Tej and Roman. Um, a lot of that's going between them trying to both go after Ramsey. Right. And I was just so sick of that love triangle by the end of the movie. Um, <laughs> and it's not even resolved by the end spoiler alert so i was just like oh gosh sick of it by seven right (laughs) yeah so i was just like really just really not on board with a lot of those one-liners the rock was just super cheesy and it's like he felt so over the top um more so than he normally is and normally it's like it's still okay because it's the rock and he can like make Mm -hmm. that over the topness fun but i don't know that's just like a like a lot of it didn't work um and they brought in Scott Eastwood for this movie as well. Yes. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't, I did not like it. Oh, I thought okay. he, was, I thought he was just really bad. Like his character is just screwing up the whole time. He, he like, he's literally the plot point that like gets Dom, that, that gets Dom out of like the most impossible situation. Well, not, it's not the most impossible situation in this movie, but just a really difficult position. Yeah. He makes a stupid uh, decision and then Dom's able to capitalize and escape. Mm -hmm. And you're just like, why are you doing this? Like all of his dialogue looks like not good. And I don't know. I don't, Scott Eason must have like a really great agent because like he was in suicide squad. He was in this, but both of them, he like, he keeps getting these small roles. And I was kind of questioning, I was like, why is, you know, Scott Eastwood, the son of Clint Eastwood getting these small roles in big budget movies. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe that's why. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was like, uh, at least he had words in this film, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Whoever wrote the jokes and lines for him is just awful. Yeah. For sure. Um, and then just to cap this whole movie off, um, the ending, like the last five minutes, I was just like, wait, what? Like, it just like, it came together to an end so quickly that I thought in the theater, I was like, oh, they've actually saved something to end this movie on with a big action set piece. And then they didn't do it. And they just like wrapped it all up in like two minutes. And I was like, oh, okay. So I guess that's set up for the ninth movie. Um, I, I, I don't know. No. But the difficult thing in grading this movie is looking at how I would grade all the, or how I have graded all the other movies. And I've like graded them on a curve basically where I'm like, okay, I don't expect much from these. So maybe I'm giving this too, like, I don't know, maybe I'm giving this too much credit or just in terms of where I've based the first four movies. I'm like, okay, well it's not technically worse than that movie in my mind, even though I think this may be my least favorite (laughs) movie. Um, Okay. So I'm going to give it two and a half ticket stubs out of five. 
right in the middle. I think Jason State like Jason Statham really pulled this movie up, even yeah. though he's underutilized. I mm-hmm. feel like so. That's those are my uh, non-spoiler thoughts. Yeah. Okay. I think I'm kind of in line with you here. Um, but first of all, I want to say this movie squandered my goodwill for the entire franchise. Okay. I saw seven in theaters. I thought it was terrific. I mm-hmm. thought it was over the top, but I thought that's what these movies were. Yeah. But then it had this emotional, you know, rope through it that seemed probably spearheaded or shoehorned in because mm-hmm. of what happened with Paul right. Walker. I feel, I think that's one thing about seven where that's, that's my second favorite of the movies. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of it has to do with because of what I go into these movies expecting, I expected them to not handle the Paul Walker send off very well. Yeah. And they handled it masterfully. So I'm mm-hmm. like, hey, like, nope. like if, hats off. If you cut if you cut that movie up and turned it into a, a, a friendship movie, you could release it. You know, around awards season, and maybe there's some right. because that's this, that they just did a, a phenomenal job. And then you lay the track with "I'll see you again," and oh, perfect. But <laughs> I mean, but fate of the furious, fate. Uh, you know, it squandered it because because they they took what I loved from that movie and tried to, you know, squeeze all of the juice out of it. And every time someone's like family and what about family, but we're a family. I just rolled my Mm -hmm. eyes because they were supposed to be this dramatic weight to it as they say it. And every time I'm like, Oh dear, dear Lord, come on. Like that's what this is about. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just rolled my eyes, but I I love the action set pieces i thought they were terrific um the opening with dom in the street race with the, that was the, my favorite one that was not jason statham heavy. yeah <laughs> i thought that was wicked sweet um first of all cuba and the car culture down there is something except that, yeah. the ending to that car sequence yeah i was just like okay. oh my yes. gosh yes <laughs> but um you know, I love they they went there because the car culture there is so cool because mm-hmm. everything is from the 50s and, you know, when the embargo went yeah. up and I thought that's fantastic. But, you know, like you said, um, it just it goes out there and over the top so quickly that you don't even have time to th- say, wait, are they capable of doing this? You know, and I thought the New York car set pieces mm-hmm. were going to be, you know, really cool. But then I realized, oh, this is just like some kind of less, you know, some kind of less funny ripoff than this Blues Brother crash where, you know, police <laughs> cruisers are piling up. And I'm like, no, too dumb. I love the shot of the cars coming out of the parking yeah. garage. Very, very cool. But no, I mean, at the end of it, I was just like, okay. And throughout almost all of the movie, I was wondering what gets Dom to turn, you know, mm-hmm. like it's not clear for a while. And then once you figure it out, you're like, Oh, how really? long? How long did it take you to figure out that something like that was going to happen? Probably, probably up until like the sec, up until the end of the New York thing. I was just like, okay. We find out before that, don't we? Do we? I found out shortly before, or I had a theory that that was going to happen shortly before the Cuba, before they left Cuba. Oh. Which I'll talk I'll talk about in spoilers, but yeah. Okay, maybe we'll have to pan this out. Mm-hmm. But by the time we got to it, I was just like, 
dude, there were so many other ways you could, like, I think you mentioned, I think probably taking a line that you told me earlier, but there are so many better ways, you know, this could have played out. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, I guess we'll just have to agree that Dom is really, really dumb (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, went about it in the most dramatic way. Um, And like you said, I, I didn't mind Scott Eastwood as much as you hated him. I thought it was just kind of like, okay. You know, that's Mr. Nobody's lackey. And well, right. That's the thing. He's trying to be the replacement to Kurt Russell, who was great in Seven mm-hmm. and great in his scenes here. And it's like, just give me Kurt Russell instead. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I will yeah, Statham is at the point in his career where he knows who he's been and is just happy to, you know, go out there and do and do films like this, like Spy, Perfect, mm-hmm. This, Fantastic. And Helen Mirren's cameo to play his oh, mother. Great fantastic i i almost would have loved for her to be the larger part of this movie i feel like she'll be back yeah i hope so she better be because just like seeing her smack smack stay them yeah, you know she got she got the uh the one f bomb too so yeah <laughs> yes telling uh telling him to straighten up was yeah uh, was fantastic um but by the time we got to the you know the thing that i thought could be cool. You know, I, I still had hope that this submarine scene would be better <laughs> than what we saw in the trailers, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was just as ridiculous, just as over the top. Uh, and I wish I hadn't seen it because yeah. maybe then I could have been like, oh, wow, mm-hmm. you won't believe what happens. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. You have to go see it to this point where it's just like, go see Dwayne The Rock Johnson misdirect a torpedo, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, like they showed all the best parts of that yeah, sequence. And I, I can't tell you how much I laugh when he's like, when he says the nukes are hot or like something like the nukes going hot or uh, what's the line? I, the one I remember distinctly is he's like, that's a heat seeker. Oh, and you're like, how do you know that? <laughs> yes. I just, every time they had some kind of quip about this uh, nuclear submarine, I was like, okay, come on. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, you know, I just couldn't deal with it. But um, there's one part, though, that I'll get to in the spoilers that I was really ticked off about is the way, is a consequence of one of Dom's actions in the film mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, plays out for a character that I hated uh, and felt like it was a waste. And at the end of it, it just felt like an unnecessary film. Yeah. But when you have a billion-dollar franchise... I mean, you make what you make. Mm-hmm. I guess, is this what Mission Impossible is like? No. No. Mission Impossible is way <laughs> okay. better than this. Gotcha. Well, after the Mission Impossible franchise gets better with each movie, so the mm-hmm. start is not great. But by the by the time you get to uh, Rogue Nation and um, Ghost Protocol, those are like those are really, really fun movies. Okay, gotcha. But I mean, it just it had all of the the sense of an international globetrotting spy thriller, you know, once we left mm-hmm. the the opening act. And so um, at the end of the day, it's, it's like two ticket stubs yeah. just because seven was here and now we're here mm-hmm. and it's just hard to look at it other than, you know, we need another billion dollars. So, right. And it's like <laughs> on figure. track to make over 500 million on the opening weekend worldwide. So it's going to be halfway there by yeah. the time you guys hear this. So, it's ridiculous. Um, yeah. So, I mean, let's get into it. Where did this movie just blow it for you? Where did it blow it for me? Um, well, I mean, I was never really on board because okay. I was like, throughout the first seven movies, Dom's preaching it's all about family. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, so why is he going to turn on his family 
Well, as it turns out, because we're, we're in spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie, turn back now, or just if you don't care, I guess. Um, he turns on family for family. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel like that's just like the, the... It was a really... I get why he would make that decision, Some, yeah. but what he does to make that work makes no sense. Some writer somewhere, I mean, maybe I'll, I would have come to a different conclusion. I don't know, but someone thought this is the most genius thing yeah. ever and then wrote the rest of the film surrounding it. Yeah. Oh, like, and this is how, this is how I figured it out. Or like I had a theory that he was going to have a kid with Elena basically was yeah. in the opening credits when they're like showing, you know, they're doing the montage of through wherever they're at, um, mm-hmm. at the opening and then like they're showing all the cast names and everything. The girl that plays Elena, uh, his the mother of his child, her name flashed up, and I was like, "Oh, I didn't know she was in this movie. That's weird." And then like not two minutes after that race happens, uh, Letty and Dom are talking about like if they want to have kids, and I was like, "Oh crap! They're totally going like they're totally going down this angle because it's just too heavy handed." Yeah, they've never talked about kids. They even make a note of it, and like they're like, "How could we've ever talked about this before?" <laughs> I wonder why. It's, uh, it's for the convenience of the plot of the movie, um, and yeah, like what happens from there on out, where like he, I don't get why. I mean, I know why he would do it because he wants to save his son, mm-hmm. but. At a certain point, you don't know that you're not going to kill all of your friends. Like they're getting shot at. You right. are flipping their cars over. Um, what else do you do to them? Like it, it's just like it makes no sense. At a certain point, you would have to try to figure out some way. And then like you find out that he's like somehow communicated with Helen Mirren. He has been. Uh, he put a tracker on his necklace so uh, Statham could find his kid. Like you did all of this stuff. And you couldn't have alerted your team what was happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, it doesn't make any sense. And the thing that literally before I saw this movie, I was talking to Colt and I was like, I hope the one thing they explain is why a villain that can hack anything, including all the cars in mm-hmm. New York City, why she wouldn't hack their cars when they are in pursuit of Dom. I hope they explain that. And then Luda installs some super cool chip that makes that not possible and they don't address it. And I was just like, you could literally just be hacking their cars and turning them off right now. And Dom could get away free. Yeah. <laughs> like it would solve all your problems and they didn't do it. <laughs> and like, I don't expect these movies to have great plots, but at least make sense within your own universe. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I was able to get over that because I'm like, Oh, maybe their cars, you know, aren't connected to the internet or whatever. But, uh, you know, it, but they're like, they're, they're stolen from like billionaires and like all this stuff. Like, it's not like they, they, they didn't even customize these cars. They just like got these off a lot that the army had. It's like, just, it doesn't make any sense. I, and I gave him that. I don't get why out of everybody that Charlize could pick to help her get an EMP and access to a nuclear submarine codes and the mm-hmm. actual submarine itself. Why of everybody in the entire world, she would pick Dom. Yeah. Like I feel like right? there's like, if you're going to choose anybody from the fast Furious franchise to be your henchman, Go out, go steal uh, Hobbs' daughter. <laughs> like, right? He is a military man. Mm-hmm. Dom is just somebody who used to street race back in like wherever he was at back in the old right. days. Suddenly like, he's an expert. Or, or like, why don't you go after Mister Nobody and right. uh, Ramsey? Like, do, like for the God's Eye Particle thing. Yeah, and but, I, I loved how they just like instantly like, oh, let's use our plot device from the last movie, and yeah. they're like, oh, we already thought about that, and she already disconnected it. And, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
This is so dumb. That's because she's the very definition of the, a high-tech high tech terrorism. terrorism. Yeah. Oh, and I thought I just like I laughed insanely too when they're like, oh, you know the hacking group Anonymous. Yeah, they're afraid of her too. And I'm yeah. like, what? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so some real, uh, real quick plot questions I had about this movie. Um, so apparently nobody cares that Statham killed Han. What is in this timeline of events is basically a yeah. few months ago. They don't. They don't mention it. Uh, there's like, they're like, no, we don't want to work with this guy. But then Dom comes in and okay, we'll work with this guy. Mm-hmm. And like instantly statham like risks his life to save letty in that explosion i was like that doesn't make any sense he's like he doesn't even want to be here right um and then like after that whole thing like charlie's is like talking to dom and uh he's like why he's like why'd you kiss me she's like why why'd you let me you could have stopped me (laughs) and i'm like oh like so they're they're like trying to play it off that he does he's not actually in love with letty and all this stuff like that could be a really interesting thing with his character right um and then like, she starts talking to him about like, you know, like, you know, you're happier off alone. That's why you're, you're always, you know, always racing and doing all these high tech stuff, all these like high risk stuff. Cause you, you need that thrill and everything. And like by the end of the movie, right. <laughs> like he like, yeah. all that stuff just like goes back to like, nope, I don't care about any of that stuff. Exactly. It's like they, first they faked like some kind of like sexual tension and then they're like, oh no, you have character development left for you. And then yeah, at the end of it, like, oh nope, that was just, you know, water under the bridge. Yeah. And I just remembered the, the moment where it lost me. They pulled a Taken 3 and had Dom <laughs> roll out of his car. Yes. I was like, I look, me and Colton turning each other like, Taken I had, 3. I had that All right. right here. I had that. Um, I, oh my gosh. I almost lost it at that point. That's going to be the last thing I said to you. Um, to, a couple other things real quick. Uh, somehow in this whole you know smart plan Dom had, his best strategy was, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to use Statham. He's going to be my accomplice. Uh, I know somehow where his brother is. I'm the only person who knows. Um, and he is now alive. Right. <laughs> well, he's he was always alive, but he is no longer in his coma, which I was I was happy to see Luke Evans yeah. show up because I didn't know he's in here. Um, but I was like, so your best plan is to use two guys who tried to kill you before to save your baby, and then they get engaged in a gunfight in a plane. <laughs> <laughs> and like they're shooting at the baby. Like this can, this could not have been your best plan. It makes no sense. Why Dom, if you're going after all this trouble to save your family and everything that yeah. your best plan is to put your baby in so much danger. Mm-hmm. Um, also just like a, a canon new concern, I guess. Um, if Elena, Elena says she had, she found out she was pregnant shortly after Letty came back, yeah. which was at the end of end, six, end of five, beginning of six. Right. Um, and at the beginning of seven, Elena is there with the rock and gets thrown out a building. Yeah. Which I would assume she would still be pregnant at that point. Um, she doesn't look pregnant, but also the fact that you would not to be like, so like, uh, dark or but like if you fell out a building with that with the rocks arms wrapped around your gut i feel like that impact would have some very negative health you know right. reactions yes um so that was like i thought about that today i was like that doesn't make any sense either yeah. um and then last thing about the plot i don't know why nobody's mad at dom at the end <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He's, he's single he's single handedly responsible for ever not single handedly, but 
he's still an accomplice yeah. to Cypher throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. And not to mention he basically he's responsible for Elaine getting a bullet to the head yeah. too. Ooh, which, which I guess they don't know about. But is that the thing you were talking about? Which uh, Yeah, she deserved better than that, I thought. It's, yeah. I was... You know, that was pretty graphic too. Yeah, uh, it was a lot darker than I expected. The Fast and Furious franchise. Um, the guy pulling the trigger, though, uh, Christopher Hildju, uh, the red bearded mm-hmm, guy. Yeah. yeah, he's from Game of Thrones, I and he that. plays a way better character yeah. than he was in this. Okay, but yeah, I just that so yeah. ticked me off, and then I was like, dude, <laughs> you you need to be arrested again. Mm-hmm. But Hobbs isn't gonna do it, so now what? Right. <laughs> it's just like it made no sense the end of the movie. Like he comes he comes riding in. Uh, off a glacier, basically onto the ice, um, and perfectly times it where he he hits he hits a truck and that truck automatically fires all of their missiles, <laughs> so they're out of ammo. And then the very next thing they do is like, all right, kill kill Dom, and then all all of the people are like, oh Dom's back, yeah. Uh, but they don't question like, oh I thought he was against us, and then Luda's just like, who cares? And you're like, really? <laughs> this is your explanation? Uh. And then, like, they all risk their lives then to then go gather around him after he's rolled out of his car and, like, sitting there on the ice to then, like, protect him from the flames of the exploding submarine. And I was like, you guys were literally just on the run from this guy. Mm-hmm. You've been on the run for him for days. And now you're just, like, instantly you see him. You're like, we have to save Don. Yeah. You have you don't even know why he was doing all this. <laughs> and then we, they don't even discuss the whole... Like thing with Letty is saying, hey, you know, uh, while you while I thought you were dead, I was with another girl. I had a baby with her. Uh, That's the reason I was gone. And I almost killed you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What? So, yeah, you know, they're going to have marriage counseling at the beginning of nine. And we'll have to go from there, I guess. Yeah. I also love that uh, Hobbs turns down the ability to be another person of the law enforcement to go to get his job back specifically so that they can most likely spin him off into his own movie. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I was like, okay, you guys are, you guys are clearly aiming or angling. Yeah. That. And Statham is there with their big family dinner at yeah. the end. I'm like, guys, again, <laughs> he killed Han like right. less but, than a year ago. But then like, you know, at the same point, like I'm reading these stories online though, when I get back and, you know, getting ready to do a write up and all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, Hobbs may not be dead, or Han may not be dead. Sorry. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. Even though he crashed his car and lit it on fire, if and I remember correctly. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you can, uh, if you can survive what appears to be somebody getting shot uh, and their car exploding, yeah, like Letty did, then uh, I'm sure they can find some way to retcon that whole thing as well, mm-hmm. and then you'll get Gal Gadot back, and uh, why not? Yeah. <laughs> you know, Fast and Furious. Yeah. Ugh. Um other thing I didn't like I didn't like that Charlize that's that was that was the moment I thought there was something else was coming was when Charlize opens up the uh door of the plane and goes shooting out of it with her parachute. I was like, Oh cool, there's something else here. Uh, that's when Dom had just been saved by the team. And I was like, Okay, well they they've got to wrap this story up and then they just don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, You guys give me some sense of like finality here instead of leaving the door open for Charlize to return in the next movie or something. Right. And, Without oh, like, you know, like she's a height. She's the definition of high tech terrorism. Yeah. What, why is she in, uh, I don't remember where Argentina or wherever she went. Um, 
I don't remember. Like, why Why is she there? Like, why would she ever come back to cross paths with them? Like, it's better just to, you know, you should have had Statham, like, secretly and sneakily, like, cut her parachute and she didn't notice. And then when she goes, only one of us has a parachute. And then she opens the door and he says, well, yours doesn't work. And he right. goes, she goes, what? And it's too late. And then she dies. Right. It would have been better. But sure enough. She'll no, come back somehow. I, I, I'm... Charlie's Theron's too valuable of a person, yeah. you know, to say, ah, we're done with you, one and done. Yeah. So maybe the number 10 will be a knockout, drag out. They're going to take out the sun or whatever. Yeah, yeah they got to they gotta go to space for uh, who knows why. Oh, uh, but since you mentioned 10, do you have any other thoughts on 8? Uh, no, I mean, that that's... You were mentioning something earlier before we started recording about if oh, I caught something. Um I'm not. I wasn't sure what you were referring to. I don't know. Maybe we're to. good. Okay. I just wanted. To, I don't I wanted, have I wanted anything to, okay. left on my okay. notepad. I just want to make sure that uh, we're we're clear. Um, but you did mention ten, and Dwayne or uh, Vin Diesel has already confirmed that there's uh, nine and ten planned, and this that uh, eight was the beginning of a basically a brand new trilogy in a way, even though it will end on a odd number. Which is unusual. Yeah. Uh, or well, I guess it'll end on an even number, which is unusual. Um, so they have two movies planned, plus there's been discussions of a Hobbs spinoff movie, um, possibly also starring Jason Statham. I'd be totally on board with that movie or just a Jason Statham solo movie in this universe. Um, the rest of them, I am not too excited for after this. Um but if uh, if you had to, if we we, we, are, we are getting a ninth and tenth movie, mm-hmm. would you want to see F. Gary Gray return as a director? Uh, no, I'd say yeah. get me Justin Lin back. Yeah, I think Justin Lin could happen. I don't think I would love to see James Wan come back, but I don't think that's going to happen after Aquaman and everything. No. Um, if I had to throw out some new names, the the top contender would be George Miller because, like I said, oh, Mad yeah. Max is the best Fast and Furious movie I've ever seen. But that's probably not very likely. So I went through some uh, other filmmakers I thought could be interesting choices. You can give me your yes or no approval on sure. that. Tim Miller. Yes, absolutely. Okay. I think he'd be a cool choice as well. Logical. Uh, and he doesn't have like, anything else coming up, really. Uh, mm-hmm. John Hillcoat, the director of Lawless and Triple Nine. I didn't dig Triple Nine, but it seems like his genre. So, I mean, yeah, I feel like this could be a step up for him and to get into that big blockbuster movie that could, uh, yeah, do a lot more stuff for his career. Uh, going with somebody who, uh, Vin is very familiar with, uh, DJ Caruso, the director of Disturbia, I Am Number Four, Eagle Eye. Again, I feel like that would be a step up for him. And, uh, he's also one of the producers on like his Triple X movies. So I could see I could see that as well. Yeah, I mean, it gives him a chance to play with things that you know Fast and Furious is already doing that he's done on a smaller scale. Mm-hmm. So that'd be great for his career. And the other one I, I would really like to see, uh, well, I'd love to see him do other things, but I think would be a a choice that would not surprise me would be Rick Famuyiwa, uh, the director of Dope, the guy that was going to direct The Flash. Uh, I think it would not, I would not be surprised if Rick Famuyiwa was uh, at, at least approached. For the ninth movie yeah i um i don't know though just because he seems a little more creative for the fashion furious franchise which yeah i think but, my hopes are a little high but i mean his his flash pitch reportedly was about more be like be a more diverse uh pitch on the flash universe and everything and uh 
these movies are already very diverse. So I, I feel like yeah. it'd be a natural fit for him. I just want, I do. I, the reason I would say go for it is because I want that guy mm-hmm. to succeed. Yeah. So, and I mean, if, even if the movie's terrible, it's going to make another billion dollars. Right. And he so, puts that on his resume and, and the guys exactly. already, I mean, it'll be better if it is actually well received, but yeah. yes. Um, do you have any cast that you would love to see join? Cause we got Charlize in this one. We had Scott Eastwood join. Uh, we had Nath- uh, Natalie uh, Emmanuel previously, same with Kurt Russell and Jason Statham. Uh, do you have anybody off the top of your head that you think would be uh, yeah. good good fits? I want my action heroes in this movie. I want to see my Bruce Willis show up. I want <laughs> Sam Jackson in here. Okay. Um, I definitely, definitely would like Mark Wahlberg, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck. Like I know I'm throwing out yeah. Boston names here, but I think they're all perfect fits uh but like you know really though uh dennis o'leary um and okay bruce willis those would be two that i think would be perfect fits. i get behind that uh i have a list uh people who i think could not necessarily they don't need that a billion dollar movie under their belt or something okay. but i feel like they'd make uh interesting additions arnold schwarzenegger if they're going for a Kurt Russell esque, no oh, new person to yeah. get in there. The big eighties nostalgia guy. There's nobody quite as big as him. Um, coming off of the nice guys, I'd love to see Russell Crowe oh, yes, uh, in some sort of role. But I feel like that's also in the vein of a Mister Nobody that Kurt Russell plays. So if he mm-hmm. can't come back for whatever reason, he could slide in. Uh, Jonah Hill, I'd love to see <gasps> join the team. Oh yes, please. Um, even though I don't know how well, I don't know. Who cares? Whatever. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Um, Diego Luna, I'd also love to see. Uh, I feel like that's coming off of Rogue One. Uh, possibly being in the Scarface remake. Yeah. Uh, being in this, it would give them a further diversify the movie again. And I feel like he would do a nice job in either a villain or... I feel like he just he can pull off that like street racer vibe. Yeah, definitely. Very perfectly in my mind. Um, Henry Cavill. He also joined Mission Impossible Six. Mm. I could I could be on board with him as well. Uh, Zach Efron because he's buddy with the with the Rock oh, now. Oh yeah. I could see him uh, and going to some Vin Diesel connections based off his last Triple uh, X movie. Donnie Yen uh, was in the Triple X movies. I could again see him because. He's a huge draw in China. The movie already kicks butt in China at the box office. But if you've Donnie in on that poster. Yeah. Especially uh, if Han's coming back. I mean. Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, that. Let's would, go. Yeah, it'd be huge. Uh, Ruby Rose, I feel like would be oh. a very great, a very nice addition for the female perspective. Um, same with Katie Sackhoff. She, she's not somebody we see a lot of in movies currently, but she was in one of the Chronicle of Riddick movies with Vin uh, in the past. So they have that relationship. I don't know how friendly they are, but uh, if they're looking for another Charlize esque person, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. And the last one, it's probably not going to happen, but just the guy who's at the top of my list of all action franchises at this moment is Keanu Reeves. Oh yeah. Um, I'd love to see that. Hmm. But Katie Sackle, I can't believe you brought that name up. I haven't seen her since like Battlestar Galactica. Right. So go figure. But I mean, yeah, I mean, she, I feel like she would be that. That that's the thing. Like she's yeah. somebody who used to be like the big name, and um, back she's, when like Captain neck. Marvel casting was like still ongoing, a lot of people still wanted pushing for her. I feel like if she took a role like this, mm-hmm. it would just instantly push her back up into being perfect that, fit. That top. I thing. agree. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um. So those are all our thoughts on the Fast and Furious franchise. 
Uh, next week, we aren't sure what we're going to review because not sure about the releases, um, but it'll either be Lost City of Z or we may do a retro review uh, of a for of one or two Alien movies. Uh, we're not sure yet, but stay tuned to figure out what that's going to be. Um, but yeah, that's really it for us for this episode. So during time away, be sure to tell us your thoughts on everything we covered. Buy between us at Friends and Film, where you receive updates on the podcast, movie news, and more. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Coops underscore Hoops. And you can follow me, Josh, at Just Joshua Ryan. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share, retweet, and more. Plus, you can have iTunes give us a five-star review with comments telling us what we can uh, do better on, what we what you already like that we do for the show. Um, that's it. Josh? Thanks for stopping by, everyone. And thanks again for tuning in to the Friends of Film Podcast. Be sure to next week for a review.